2020 has been a roller coaster, leaving many without jobs as a result of the coronavirus and COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast is geared toward people who are in the middle of a crisis, worried about their money or their debt, know someone with these worries, or want to learn more about good financial habits that apply in both good times and bad. My name is Heather Culp, and I am an attorney with the law firm Essex Richards in Charlotte, North Carolina. Every day, I work with people who have too much debt, and I have been doing this kind of work since before the Great Recession. I am here today with my very good friend, Karen Booth, and we want to talk to you about making good decisions in another time of economic fragility, this time because of the coronavirus and COVID-19. Karen has deep knowledge and experience in the financial services industry, and she focuses on financial literacy and educating on money management. She owns Engage Forward LLC, a professional management and development training company based in Charlotte. So the backstory to this podcast is that several years ago, Karen created a program about money management, particularly during hard times, and invited me to be part of that. So from 2012 to 2015, Karen and I regularly teamed up to present a workshop in person that was about two hours long. And we presented that to unemployed and underemployed people here in the Charlotte area who were recovering from the recession. That program was called Dealing with Financial Crisis. And Karen called me a couple of weeks ago in light of everything that's going on and said, hey, given the state of affairs here, maybe it's time for us to dust off that workshop, bring it up to date and present it again. So our goal today and every day is to hopefully be a ray of sunshine in a tough time and a scary time by sharing useful legal and financial information to people who need it. And we're gonna keep it under an hour today and present a condensed version of what is a deep and interesting area. So with that background, Karen, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience and why you wanted to do this podcast today? Sure. And first, I would like to say thank you, Heather, for having me on with you today. I think for me, I was interested in circling back with this particular topic for a number of reasons. One, I'm a native New Yorker. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. And my background in financial services started there as well. And with it being in retirement and in the investment side, for the last 20 years, I've found that people struggle with managing their money on a regular basis, much less in a crisis. So I thought this was a well uh, important time for us to bring this topic back up again and have the opportunity to share with you and with our listening audience ways for them to look into how they can manage their finances and their anxiety in this particular time. I know you and I teamed up, as you mentioned before, to help those that were underemployed and unemployed, especially after the recession, but being part of the investment side of the world with the tech industry declining and then with the recession and now with this COVID stuff, I think a lot of people have answer, uh, questions that they would like answers to. So. Hopefully we can do them justice and give them some information today. 
So knowing you as well as I do, I'm going to ask you to toot your horn a little bit. You are very educated, very qualified with a lot of licenses, and you have worked for some very, very big companies and have been responsible for managing some very big portfolios. So can you give people a little bit of flavor for, you know, all the experience that you bring to bear today to help average people just like you and me? So my background is I worked with for two large companies, um, one being AXA Equitable. I managed the 401k plan for the entire company, which was about $80 billion worth of investment assets and over 13,000 employees for over over eight to 10, eight years. In that particular role, I spent, I was on the funds management side. However, interfaced a lot with the HR side and the education and literacy around the plans itself. After working there, I also worked with Vanguard, managing employment plans and 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 um, designing plans for corporate, large corporate organizations as well. And that was also, again, building around not only the investments within the plans, but also all, all the elements that come with education and communications. And that was in the midst of the 2008 recession. So in addition to that, I do have my bachelor's and my MBA. I do also have well, I did have my licensing in regards to the Series 6 and 63 due to the fact that I was talking investments. But in the case of Engage Forward, I primarily focus on the education side, not so much the investment-specific sides, only because I think the investments is just one piece of a larger pie. I feel like people, what I've uncovered in my many years of of being in this particular work is that the people struggle with the basic fundamentals of money management and and before they can even get to the investment side they we need to have the conversation around personal financial management and so that's what i mostly focus on so a little bit about me and i think this is part of what makes you and i a good team we we have different backgrounds and different experiences i'm a lawyer as i mentioned earlier it is hard for me to believe sometimes but i have been practicing for 22 years i practiced first in kentucky for four or five years and since 2002 i have practiced here in charlotte north carolina i do several different types of law but really most of it is focused on debt and credit issues of some kind. And I would say probably the majority of my practice is helping people, couples and small businesses with a financial problem, figure out the best way out of a bad situation. And that bad situation could be, you know, representing people and advising people on the borrower side people who owe money, owe money that they can't pay in full and on time. And sometimes it's representing creditors who are owed money and having trouble collecting that. I think the best thing that I can do for people and, and always try to do for clients is to tell them what their options are, explain the pros and cons to those, answer the questions that they have, and then help them make a good decision about how to go forward 
move on and execute that plan. It's basically about figuring out the best way out of a bad situation. And you and I are going to talk about some of those options today for particularly when you get into a pinch on the borrower side. That's really what we're going to focus on today. I feel really lucky in that I feel like I make a difference every day. You know, I can see that I'm helping people and businesses. I can see that I'm giving them helpful information and and that's really rewarding. And it's, you know, it's humbling not to be able to pay your bills on time and it can be humiliating. People really struggle with shame, I think, and and suffer alone for longer than is necessary. Most people just feel, tell me they feel a whole lot better after we talk for an hour or so because they can see that it's maybe not as bad as they had imagined. And they often tell me they wish they would have reached out sooner. And another, you know, another great thing that I take pride in and and means a lot to me is that, you know, my engagements with people, particularly with financial problems, tend to be fairly discreet and short term. You know, they may be a year they may be less. And if somebody's in, for example, a chapter 13 bankruptcy, which can take three to five years, we typically don't talk all that often after the case is filed. And it really makes me feel good that after people have recovered and are on their way, you know, they keep in touch with me. They let me know when good things are happening to them. And interestingly, they reach out sometimes when good things are happening to me. This may be oversharing, but it's interesting to me. I graduated from the University of Kentucky College of Law, and when Kentucky won the men, won the men's basketball championship back in 2012, my phone and my email just lit up with former clients calling and emailing to congratulate me, as if I had something to do with that. <laughs> um, but it told me a couple of things. It told me number one, I talk about Kentucky too much, but it also told me that you know that 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 we have a relationship, that people care. I care about them. They know that. Um, and that means a lot. So I'm, you know, I'm here to help. I know that you're here to help. We're doing this for free to get some good information out, particularly to people who live in North Carolina. And the other thing I would say about why we're doing this is, you know, lawyers in particular, despite all the jokes about us and the punchlines, we have a special ethical obligation to give back to our communities and to the profession. And this is one really easy, good way to give back. And I think that's awesome. And if I could just add to that, if you don't mind, um, Heather, I think one of the things I think you and I both realized in doing the workshops we did a couple of years ago is that people actually needed the information and they were grateful for the information. You know, you were kind enough to give of your time. It was a volunteer opportunity. And so I just, I appreciate the fact that we're able to do this again at this point in time. Me too. So Karen, shifting gears and and putting our skills to work here and and getting this information out that we've talked about, let's talk about the economy right now, spring of 2020, you know, kind of at the height of the coronavirus, hopefully the height, hopefully it'll get better, the height of the coronavirus and COVID-19 crisis. You know, you and I are under shelter in place orders from both the state and from Mecklenburg County where we live. We know people are hurting. We both know people who have lost jobs, whose spouses have lost jobs, people whose hours have been reduced, businesses that have closed. And I can tell you um, that on 
one Friday a couple of weeks ago, five clients let me know that day alone that they had lost their jobs. Mm. I read this morning that just 69% of Americans paid their rent by April 5th compared with 81% as of March 5th. I also read this morning that as of the week ending April 4th, 16.6 million Americans had filed first-time unemployment claims, which is it's really hard to wrap your brain around. Yeah. So we know people need help. And for people and couples and families who want to manage their finances but feel overwhelmed and terrified, what advice do you have for them for just getting started and trying to engage forward as your company is called? Yeah, so I think the first thing we want to do is kind of take a pause. I know there's so much going on at, at one time, and I think a lot of people are experiencing various levels of emotions, including anxiety. And I think one of the first things before they, before we like panic is really to start to take assessment, uh, inventory of what do you have now and what do you owe? One of the nice things is that there are a lot of organizations that are allowing people to kind of put things on pause, but at the same token, before we can make any big decisions, we do have to look at what we currently have as far as in our bank accounts and access to, and then also what are our expenditures. So I would say that's that's probably before any decisions can be made, that's part of one of the critical things to do. For those who are losing their job, I mean, yeah, 16.6 million people, Americans is a lot is a lot of people. And so there are some unemployment insurance and policies that are being put into place uh, specifically for the COVID as well as for those who have small businesses, there are certain loans that are being rep- recommended and put into place by the, for, by the government. So those are definitely two places I would start. If you have the opportunity to file an unemployment, please go ahead and do so. And then also to go ahead and to file your taxes. I know from the federal level, they're saying that you can postpone them. But I just also want to be mindful that it may differ state by state in regards to state returns. Here in North Carolina, I believe it, it you can you can postpone it, but the interest may be still accrued. So if you do want to postpone it, I would also suggest you either A, check out your state's website, or if you have access to your accountant or your tax preparer, to please contact them and make sure that you're in a place where you're not putting yourself behind the eight ball by doing the delay. So yeah, those are the couple of things I would say to start with at this point in time in regards to, you know, where, where should you start? Those are all good points. And I would add that, of course, it's been in the news. Congress passed recently and the president signed the CARES Act, C-A-R-E-S-A-C-T. And that's the source of some of the relief that you're talking about, particularly the extension of the deadline to file your federal tax returns. I know that I have spent several hours over the last week taking 
continuing education courses online that are geared towards lawyers, particularly bankruptcy lawyers like me, to learn about all of the new provisions and how we can best help our clients. And my CPA, who I've gone to for over 10 years now, he's doing the same thing. There's there's a lot to learn. But in just a week, you know, we've done a pretty good job of getting our arms around this. So those are all all good tips and there may be new legislation and more relief in the future. And just real quickly, I, I would like to add, you know, from a specific standpoint, you know, we, we we're all basically staying at home at, at now. So like, if you haven't had the opportunity to understand, like one, look at your paycheck, but two, to pull out all your bills, like, you know, so that you have a, a list of each and everything. Now's the time to gather that documentation and gather that information because that's going to be helpful in putting together the inventory. So I apologize, Heather. I just that was an afterthought that I just wanted to make sure that I put out there. No, it's an important point. It's hard to know what your options are if you don't know what your circumstances are. So I think right. that's great advice and a great first step. Heather, I guess from your standpoint, you know, for, I can look at it from the financial side. From your standpoint as an attorney, like you know, how how would you suggest your clients go about looking at their options at this point and what should they be doing? Um, As you and I have talked about in the past, there is typically a lag time between when a crisis hits, whether it's a job loss or divorce or, you know, catastrophic medical situation that gives rise to a lot of debt or having business trouble, there's a lag time. People don't immediately, usually don't immediately reach out to a lawyer or to a CPA. They may reach out to their investment advisor. That may be the first thing that they do, but they don't, they don't typically reach out to us right away. They've got other things to worry about, but you know, when the time does come to kind of reconcile your financial situation and what you are going to do about it, there are typically five things that are an option from my standpoint. And we're really talking about people who have either gotten so far behind on their debt that there's no hope of catching up, or they may be current on everything, but it is impossible or unwise or both to try to pay it all off. So we're not, we're really not talking about trivial issues here. You know, we're talking about typically tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt maybe a foreclosure that's pending, you know, maybe a car's been repossessed, maybe a lawsuit has been filed um, to collect a debt. You know, we are talking about, again, not your just your everyday, I'm not sure if I can pay for this cup of coffee at Starbucks or if I should make coffee at home. It's a big problem. So in that situation, I typically talk about five options for people. And the first, particularly right now, for the reasons that we've discussed is, I really didn't think I would ever say this, but I would say start by Googling and by contacting your creditors. There, there is a lot of unusual new relief out there. And I think that this is a fluid situation and that things will change quickly. But just by way of example, a lot of my folks have called wanting to know if the six to 12 months forbearance on mortgage payments on your home is something that's available to them. They're seeing that in the news. And my answer to that is, as far as I know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac 
who own approximately half of the home mortgages in America, that's a program that they are putting on through the CARES Act. So the first step is to find out whether your mortgage is backed by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And the easiest way to do that is just to Google who owns my mortgage. And one of the top hits that comes up should be the website makinghomeaffordable.gov. That website has been around a long time. I think it's part of HUD. It's a government-backed website. It has good information that's reliable and trustworthy. And you can just type your address in there and find out if Freddie or Fannie owns your mortgage. It sounds silly sometimes to think, how could you not know who owns your mortgage? But the the mortgage owner is often completely different than what we call a servicer who sends you your mortgage bills and who you write your checks out to. So that's you know one thing. Another thing is student loans that are owned by the federal government. There is particular relief available under those right now, and about 43 million Americans owe federal student loan debt. This does not apply to private student loan debt. So if your loan is through Wells Fargo or Discover or some company like that, this help is not targeted at you. There may be other help for you, but you're going to have to do your homework and find out if your particular lender is offering that help. But for student loans that are owned by the federal government, that's typically the U.S. Department of Education or one of their servicers, payments on most federal student loans are suspended through September 30th. And that means that you don't have to make a payment for six months. If you have that type of loan, you're eligible. It's automatic. You don't have to apply or prove anything. It's just there. You will log into your student loan account online and you will see that no payment is due until September. And that's that's a tremendous help to people. So I would say, number one, see what is out there for you. You can contact your lenders and see if they will work with you. I think a lot of them will because this is just an unprecedented time right now. The second option that I, I would consider, and I don't talk to every client about this, but just broadly speaking, the second option is to look into credit counseling debt consolidation or debt management. This is not an option for most of the people that I talk to. There's just simply too much debt to try to restructure through one of these programs. What these programs typically do is negotiate with your creditors on your behalf to lower your interest rate, maybe to waive some interest and to lower minimum payments and stretch the payments out over a longer period of time. And if you have $100,000 in credit card debt and you're not working, that's just not going to be an option for you. But if it is an option or if you want to look into that, you can do that. I I know we've all heard the advertisements on TV and radio, and we've seen advertisements on the Internet for debt relief companies who say, you know, we can settle your debt for pennies on the dollar. If you owe $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you have a right to settle that. Well, you know, that's all true. You don't have to have a specific amount. But most of those companies are scams. I've had a lot of clients over the last 15 years who have signed up with one of these companies without really knowing anything about them. They don't know anybody who's worked with them. And they either pay a ton of money and don't get very much of a result. They pay a ton of money and get sued by a creditor. And these companies are not attorneys. They cannot represent you in that lawsuit. And they're often paying a lot more than they would pay if they were to file for bankruptcy. So there is only one company um, that I recommend to folks, and I'm not going to say it online today because I don't want to advertise for them. 
But the point is, if this is something that you want to do, I think it, the best thing that you can do is talk to an attorney or someone who is qualified and can tell you, yeah, here's what I know about them, or I've never heard of them, or most importantly, here's the one that me and my colleagues know and trust and, and would tell you, you can take whatever they say to the bank. Kind of the downsides of credit counseling and credit management programs, debt management programs, it's really as damaging to your credit score as a bankruptcy is. It is a signal that things have gotten so overwhelming for you that you can't take care of them yourself. That may or may not be particularly important to you, but it's something that I think people should know. I've already talked about, you know, oftentimes the payments are just unaffordable. And the other thing is there can be debt forgiveness income arising from these programs. And most of the time when I talk to people, they were not informed of that or didn't understand that on the front end. And big picture, what we're talking about here is if you settle, and I'm just going to use credit card debt again, if you settle $30,000 worth of credit card debt for $20,000 by law, the creditor has to send you a 1099 for what was written off, what you did not pay. And that's just like if you worked at a job last year and didn't have any withholdings and they send you a 1099. Most of the time, oftentimes there's going to be a tax consequence to that. And people just don't know that. So there's more there to consider than often meets the eye. Along the same lines, the third option that I talk to people about, and this is often why people call me, they want to talk about settling a debt. This is also not a realistic option for most of the people that I talk to, again, because the debt is just too much, because there will be a tax consequence to it. And I always tell people to talk to a CPA or a tax professional to get that information. I'm not qualified to give that. I just know enough to flag it for you. But the other thing is, you know, you have to be 60 days behind, at least for a credit card company to even talk to you about settling less for full value. Because if you're making your payments on time and in full, why would they give you a break? So you have to be behind. And what people typically don't know is that you have to have the cash ready to go. So going back to that example earlier, if you're going to settle a $30,000 credit card debt for $20,000, you got to have that $20,000 ready. And if you had $20,000, you probably wouldn't be calling me. So these companies will typically let you stretch it out over four months. So, you know, Discover, Amex, big banks. If you want to settle for $20,000, you can pay $20,000 within 30 days. You can pay $5,000 in four monthly installments, but that's it. You cannot drag this out over a long period of time. A common question is, you know, how does this affect my credit if I do a settlement? It's reported as settled for less than full value by law. That's how the creditors have to report it. That's negative, but it's not as negative as some of the other options. So it is an option. The fourth option is to do nothing. And I would get specific advice about this. I don't want to give the impression that you can just sit around and ignore your mail and ignore the phone calls and nothing's going to happen to you. That is not the point. But what that means is that you don't really take any proactive steps to resolve your debt. You don't file a bankruptcy. You don't enter into a settlement. And there can be various reasons why you why you take this path or why you take this path for a while. But the important thing is, is if you're going to do that, know to pay attention to your mail and be careful to respond to legal paperwork when it's necessary. And a lawyer can help you figure out when it's necessary. If your debt is what I call consumer debt, and that means it was debt that it was incurred to pay for the family, 
household or personal expenses, then you can write a letter to the creditor telling it to stop contacting you. The Federal Trade Commission has a good brochure online and very good information on their website about this. The brochure is called Debt Collection. So if you Google Federal Trade Commission Debt Collection, it should pop right up. And that will get your creditors off your back. It will stop the phone calls. It will stop letters. It restricts them to contacting you only as allowed by law. And what that typically means, they can only contact you if they're suing you. This is a good state to live in if you owe debt that you can't pay. We don't have wage garnishment in North Carolina for most types of debt. So, you know, this is something that you can get through. And then the last option for people is bankruptcy. And that's just a huge topic, you know, that we can't really cover very well today. We could talk for hours on the different types of bankruptcy and how it works and what it does. But I I would just say that, you know, I've kind of done this from all sides for a long time. I mostly represent borrowers who can't pay in full. I have represented creditors. I'm doing it now. I have represented bankruptcy trustees who are appointed by the court to administer cases. And I am a chapter seven trustee. So I've seen all sides of this. And it's not like anybody grows up with a lifelong goal and dream to file for bankruptcy. It's not what any of us want for ourselves or for the people that we know. But I think of it like divorce. You know, we all get married, those of us who get married, with the best of hopes and intentions, and sometimes it doesn't work out. And if it doesn't work out, you shouldn't stay in that relationship just because you're embarrassed or you're scared of what people might think of you. You should get a divorce. And by the same token, if you get into a situation where you can't pay your debts, you know, you tried something happened, you can't do it. You shouldn't just sit there and suffer. You have a right to file for bankruptcy in most situations, and it can be a big relief, and it's more common than people think. So that's that's kind of big picture what the options are. And these are, of course, pretty drastic remedies. You know, this isn't something that you should think about immediately when you lose your job or when something bad happens. But we do want to just like we've said, put information out there. And and so, Karen, for people who want to be more conservative or are in the position to be more conservative with their money during this type of uncertainty, you know, maybe they have some savings, they have options, they have a line of credit, but are hitting a, a bump in the road. And for people who are just starting to panic, what can you tell people, what would you like to say about finding places where people can trim their budgets, can kind of, you know, make some fairly small changes in their life or in their lifestyle that might have some pretty big results? Yeah, good question. So I think for for people who fortunately or hopefully don't have to turn to bankruptcy just yet, you know, it. one of the things that I liked about what you just shared, Heather, is that people have options, right? There, there, there's plenty of options. And even though it's a lot of information, it's great information for them to turn to. But if they're not at that point yet, and just to start with on the day to day, I think one of the things, one of the key things to start with is to look at needs versus wants. And, you know, it sounds simple, but it's, it's really one of those areas where a lot of people miss up front. It's looking at, we, we're taught to learn about like food, shelter, clothing, water being our, our needs. 
But beyond that, you know, do we need to have every cable channel out there or do we need specific channels, TV at all, right? Or, you know, what what are the things that you can look at as you're, as you're doing your inventory that where are opportunities to, to eliminate items that may not be necessity right now? I got to tell so, you, we might have lost half the audience there by saying you don't need TV. <laughs> I know, especially in this. Well, you know what? <laughs> I tell you what, in, in in this particular day and age, it just really depends on what you're watching, right? I, I think a lot of it also stems to fear. So you just have to be mindful as to what we're watching. <laughs> I didn't mean um, to get you off track, but I couldn't help. No, that's okay. That's okay. But it, but it's it's relevant. And so it's these type of things that we have to look at, you know, in, in the days where we can go out and, and so forth, you know, certain decisions might seem easier than not, but, but because we have this opportunity to sit and really look at what we're doing and people are going to have to be more mindful about things, what, you know, if they take their lunch to work or if they eat out, you know, I mean, a lot of people are staying home and cooking better, you know, versus eating out. So it's, it's really just an opportunity to assess what your specific needs are and another piece to that, I mean, it sounds, again, like, why why would I recommend this? But there's opportunities to shop from ourselves, you know, versus buying everything that's out there. A lot of people, it's the springtime as we're recording this, and there's a lot of things in our individual places where we don't want or don't need. And so is it, a, one, is it something that can that you can utilize and be creative about in a different way? A lot of people are making masks right out of, now out of things that they have at their house that they probably wouldn't even thought of before. So it's opportunities to be creative about it. It's also opportunities to pull out things that you that you can utilize in a different way or that may maybe be maybe a need that someone else that you know that's very close and dear to you that can utilize as well. So those are some of the things I would think about. Yeah. So as they have additional funds in their account, it's also about being mindful as to how you use those funds. How do you allocate them? Because they have the opportunity, because people have the opportunity to postpone certain payments, it's it's really looking at what's the priorities. What what are the things that, you know, the must have, again, the, the must do's right now versus the things that don't need to be addressed right away? And how are you going to manage all of those going forward? So that, again, is where the inventory comes into play. I, if I could, um, one thing that comes to mind as you're, as you're speaking, Karen, is, you know, this is typically tax refund season, and people may be getting three, five, six, eight thousand $8,000 from the federal government and the state government combined. And people, a lot of people will be getting a stimulus payment as a result of this CARES legislation, hopefully sooner rather than later. If people get this unexpected or expected bit of extra money, what what advice do you have for them as to what to do with that? I'll tell you, I put it in my savings account. You know, I'm nervous too. I'm self-employed and feel fortunate and lucky but we just don't know what's going to happen. And in the past where I might've booked a vacation this summer, number one, we don't know if we're going anywhere, but number two, I just feel better and less anxious if I put that money away and I know that it's near there when I need it. So, you know, what are your thoughts on something like that? 
I would say definitely wanting to save it versus spend it would be the priority thing. But here's the thing. Some people live paycheck to paycheck and right now, right? And so the, the reality of our conversation is managing through crisis. And part of what made our conversation successful is that it's not really just talking about what we should do in good terms, but like, what do you do when you're in the middle of it? And I think as we talk about saving, I definitely feel like if you haven't had an emergency fund, you need to put, you know, and you have the opportunity to do that, absolutely put it in an emergency fund because you don't know, we don't know what's going to be coming down the pipe. And there is a lot of uncertainty and unknowns as to how long this is going to last. But I think that's why it's really important and critical that people assess what they really do have and what they really do owe so that they can make those determinations. So I guess my recommendation initially would be like, do the assessment. If you have things that need to be paid now, you know, you address those first. If you have the opportunity to put it away, put it away but do not go booking the vacation right now uh, because we don't know, you know, we just don't know what's coming down the pike. And, you know, I feel like, I know that's spot on advice. I feel like personally, this is what I do. This is what I'm good at. You know, I'm kind of an ER trauma person for financial emergencies. By the same token, I can't even look at the doctor's office when they're taking blood. It just freaks me the flip out. So like, you don't want me on the scene. You know, if you've had a car accident, I will be useless to you. I will just be a mess. So along those lines, you know, I had a conversation fairly recently with, with a new client who's a lot like people that I know and people who come to me, she's had a contract based job for a long time. She'll get a great job at a bank, you know, making $75,000. It lasts six months. She's out of work for six months and then she's got to start over again. And that's just the new reality. That's the new. I don't expect that to change. So, you know, just she's just got a new contract. She's kind of getting back on her feet. She's working from home and she's making pretty good money, but she's got a mountain of credit card debt. And we were talking and she told me that her car broke down and it needs about $2,000 worth of repairs. And she's just going to worry about that another day because she's working from home. And I was like, hey you know, rather than trying to get caught up on credit card debt that you're probably never going to get caught up on, take that tax refund, take that stimulus money, get your car fixed. You're going to, you're going to need to get around. So when I told her that she's like, well, that's so obvious, but I wasn't able to think about that because I'm so worried about everything. So I think, I think what you're doing is just underscoring and emphasizing really good practical information about what to do to put your best foot forward. One of the things that happens is because we deal with our own anxieties and our all thoughts, sometimes it's just like dealing with what's going on in us individually. And sometimes it's just good to have a conversation with someone else who can help guide you and and provide options that you may not have considered on your own. So, yeah, I think that was great that she was able to have that, you know, honest conversation with you about it. Okay, so here's a question for you. In your experience, you know, what are people what are people worried about when they think about the possibilities of a bankruptcy filing? So, again, because that is the most common 
recommendation when people do call me when they're in a, in a pretty bad financial situation? I do think that's a good question and it's worth talking about. The worries can be all over the map. People's imaginations can really run away with them. But I, I find that the most common questions are, um, one is, I don't have any money. How am I going to pay an attorney? That's a good question. That's a, that's a very good question. And my answer to that is, you know, if you're not working, if you don't have any income or you don't have an income beyond what it takes just to survive, then you're probably going to have to talk to a friend or a family member about loaning you the money or giving you the money. And in my experience, people want to help. They know your, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your kids, your grandkids, your coworkers. People want to help you. So that's one path. You know, another path that's probably more common is people are working and they can meet their basic day-to-day needs and maybe a little bit more than that. But again, they just can't pay all of this debt. So my general advice to people, and again, every situation is different, but my general advice to people is stop paying on the credit cards, stop paying on the unsecured debt. And that means debt for which there's no collateral that can be taken. Stop paying on that and, and take those those dollars that you had been putting towards minimum payments and set them aside. And pretty quickly, you will have the money that you need to pay an attorney and to pay the court for a bankruptcy. And, and sometimes that freaks people out. But the fact of the matter is, you know, whether you owe $40,000 on credit card debt or you owe forty one at the time that you file because there's extra interest and penalties and late fees, it doesn't really matter. It's 99% of the time, all of that debt is going to go away in a bankruptcy. So that kind of covers how to pay an attorney. People are afraid that they're going to lose everything. And that's just not true. We as a society have decided that we want people to be able to file for bankruptcy or to have a judgment against them entered by a court and to be able to keep property to be productive and move on. So, you know, nobody's going to take your your clothes and your jewelry and probably not going to take your car, but that's what an appointment with the bankruptcy is for us to go over your particular situation and find out what might or might not be at risk. An awful lot of chapter seven bankruptcies are what we call no asset cases. And that's what it sounds like. There is nothing to be taken from you to pay creditors. You're going to get rid of the debt that is the type of debt that goes away in a bankruptcy and you're going to keep your stuff. People are worried about their employers finding out. And generally that's just not something to be concerned about. If you owe your employer money, if they're a creditor of yours, you are going to have to notify your employer that you are filing for bankruptcy because under penalty of perjury, you have to notify all of your creditors. But that's not applicable to most people. If your employer checks your credit report, bankruptcy stays on your credit report for 10 years, and that's from the date of the bankruptcy filing. But that's not that common in my experience. And even if it does apply to you, In my experience, employers would rather have you file for bankruptcy and take care of your debt problems and get it behind you compared to having all this hanging over you. And maybe you get calls at work about it. Maybe you get served with papers about it. Maybe you're distracted and worried about it. They would rather you resolve it. It's against the law to discriminate against people for filing for bankruptcy. So, you know, I can't say that it's never a concern. If you have to be bonded for your job, for example, um, you're handling large amounts of cash, 
a bankruptcy may be a problem, but at the same time, having a lot of debt that you can't pay is a problem as well. People ask me if somebody's going to come to their house and look at their stuff. Generally, no. I mean, I can count on one hand out of hundreds of people, the times that a bankruptcy trustee has come to someone's house to look at something. It's extremely rare. It's almost always scheduled through an attorney. So that's really not something that needs to be worried about. And the last thing I would say is people are always concerned about, you know, I'll never get credit again. And that's just not true. Once you get your discharge order, which is the order from the court that says you don't owe the debts anymore, as long as you have the income to make payments on your debt, you're going to be able to get a credit card, a car loan, the things that you want and need to move on. The interest rate is going to be high. And particularly for a credit card, the limit is going to be low. But the best way and really the only way to be rebuild your credit after bankruptcy is to get a new debt and to pay it on time. So, and you, you can do that. So th- those are kind of the most common questions. Hopefully that, that helps. Oh, I think they will. And I, I did have two other questions uh, related to that for you. I, I know one would be like, so for those who think that they're, if they file bankruptcy, can their employer fire them because they filed bankruptcy? What would you tell your clients? So my answer to that is that while it's against the law to discriminate against people for filing for bankruptcy and discrimination includes firing you, as a practical matter, if your employer wants to fire you for bankruptcy or for any other reason, they're just going to find some other reason to do it. I, I can't think of anybody in all these years who has been fired for a bankruptcy. I just can't guarantee it, but it, it just doesn't happen. It's a good question, though. Mm-hmm. And another question I had in regards to what cannot be, what can't be discharged. Uh, it is almost impossible, at least in North Carolina, to get rid of student loan debt in a bankruptcy. It is just not an option. A bankruptcy can be helpful in dealing with student loans for other reasons, but you are not going to be able to wipe out your student loan debt. Child support and alimony, what we call domestic support obligations, those are not modifiable or dischargeable in any type of bankruptcy. Tax debt sometimes goes away and sometimes doesn't. Those are probably the big ones. Those are the most common ones that we talk about. Awesome. Thanks. So a lot of the people that I see, Karen, you know, unfortunately, when I'm first meeting with them and talking about their their assets and their property, when I ask about retirement savings, they have absolutely none. And often they will tell me that they don't have any anymore because they cashed it all out and used it to try to pay down their debt and avoid coming to see me. And it didn't work. What are your thoughts on tapping retirement funds to pay debt? Yeah. So given that that's basically the industry that I come from, that's a very taboo subject for me in order in in regards to tapping your 401k. I think one, the the average person has saved even prior to this whole COVID-19, the crisis, but the average person has less than a hundred thousand saved, actually less than 60,000 saved. So we are not doing a great job in our saving for retirement. With that being said, if you tap it, especially before the age of 55, you do get a 10% penalty for accessing your retirement funds. I know that there are 
extending that or, or, or eliminating that short term for the COVID-19 crisis. However, I think it's best to explore all your different options prior to looking at your 401k or 403b as a source of funding. There's also ramifications with loans versus withdrawals from your 401k plan. So you want to be able to connect with your HR resources or your whoever your record keeper is. And if you don't know who your record keeper is, I need you to pull out your 401k statement <laughs> and look at it because that's another element of understanding where your money is. It's either a lot of the big companies like a Fidelity or a Vanguard, but there's plenty of others, but you just need to look at your 401k statement and you can get a better sense as to who your record keeper is. But yeah, as far as looking at your retirement savings as a source of funding for this amount, your sor- your, your 401k is protected under bankruptcy. That's right. So you want to be able, so, so if anything, you want to ma- be able to maintain those funds for your to fund your retirement lifestyle in the future and don't feel and feel comfortable that you can pr- have it protected under under bankruptcy if you so choose to go that route so yeah th- those those are the things i would say in regards to retirement savings at this point yeah, yeah, I, mean, I completely agree you know it's one thing if you have to borrow or withdraw to to feed yourself or to have housing i mean that's that's I understand that, but borrow against or withdraw to pay credit card debt or medical debt or something like that is, it's just crazy to me. Congress passed the bankruptcy code and revises it. The code is something that is created by the legislature and it reflects Congress's judgment and in turn society's judgment that we would rather have you have money put away to take care of yourself in your senior years rather than pay that over to credit card companies. So that money is protected almost always, either in bankruptcy or if you get a judgment against you. So don't take it out. Don't volunteer it. They can't take it from you. You don't want to volunteer it. I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as as you know, we hopefully get back into our day-to-day, I, I do want to encourage people to find the opportunities to save as much as they can in their 401k because it is pre-tax income and it has a benefit to you as an employee. If you don't know much about your 401k and you're at home f- trying to figure out what to do with your time, now's a great time to look into that as well. It's <laughs> adult homeschooling, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so to follow up, um, you know, briefly, we're, we're bumping up against an hour Um, In terms of what not to do, I would say basically don't take any drastic steps without talking to a financial advisor and an attorney. Don't take your retirement money out. Don't transfer things. Don't sign your car over into your spouse's name or your kid's name because you're afraid you're going to lose it. It's usually not necessary and it, it only does more harm than good. It sounds counterintuitive, but don't pay off financed property. If you get your tax refund and your stimulus money or you have some extra money, if you have any debt concerns at all, don't pay off your car. You don't want to create a lot of equity in something because you may wind up having to pay to keep it. And and it's too much to talk about today, but that's the kind of things that we can talk about in our office if necessary. Be careful about borrowing money from friends and family and paying it back. There are laws that apply to that. It's not a crime. Nobody's going to go to jail. But as you might understand, if you wind up filing for bankruptcy, 
and the trustee finds out because you have to disclose it. The trustee finds out that you have paid a lot of money back to friends and family over the last year, but you have not treated other creditors that you don't know the same way. The trustee can get that money from your friends and family and distribute it evenly. And that's a real bummer. So I would just say, try not to do that. Don't keep money on deposit where you owe debt. For example, if you are behind on a Bank of America credit card or you're afraid you're going to default on that soon, you don't want to have your money on deposit in a checking or a savings account at Bank of America. There's something called the right of offset. They can take that money out with no notice to you and it can be hard to get back. So you don't want to do that. Bank somewhere where you have no lending relationship. I would say don't try to figure the law out on your own. Google, the last time I checked, did not have a law degree and was not licensed to practice in the state of North Carolina. It's important to talk to someone who knows what they're doing. And by the same token, hire someone who has some experience. You don't want to talk to somebody who's learning bankruptcy law on the fly over the last couple of months. And I would say, and this is something you and I talk about a lot, Karen, hire somebody that you know you can trust, that you like, and you feel comfortable talking to. And that applies to financial advisors like you. It applies to attorneys like me. This is a relationship that should be based on trust and confidence. If you don't feel good about this person, keep shopping. I have changed doctors for the same reason. I 100% agree. (laughs) And speaking of doctors, in terms of financial planning, particularly during a health crisis, are there key documents that you want people to have in place or, or things that you want them to do to be prepared? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I'll give a quick example in regards to this. But, you know, especially with, with all this stuff in relation to COVID and, and all these healthcare issues right now, a lot of people are ending up at the hospitals when they weren't expecting to in the first place. And so it's just imperative that we have certain documents in place, one of them being a healthcare proxy. So unfortunately, I actually lost a cousin of mine. Uh, she passed away about two weeks ago from an unrelated illness. Now, it, had, it didn't have to do with the COVID, but she was in a position where she initially thought she filled out her healthcare proxy. And when she was entered into a different hospital, it wasn't, it wasn't acceptable there. So it, and she had certain, certain things she wanted to have done. She did not want to be resuscitated. She did not want to be intubated. And because her paperwork was not properly completed where it was, her, her wishes couldn't be carried out the way she wanted it Mm. to be. And so I say to that, you know, and it's not just with the healthcare proxy, but People should have a will or a trust or a, or a living will on, on hand, created a power of attorney. If you, if you become incapacitated, that somebody else can carry out your uh, wishes on your behalf. Life insurance. And, and, and if, you have, if you, know, you need to see an attorney about those, they can, they can certainly walk you through the specifics of those. But then also take the time to look at your beneficiaries on your plans. Some people, you know, what your 401k, your 403b, your life insurance, a lot of people either A, may not have beneficiaries out there. They may have ex-spouses that they don't even realize are still on there. We see that Uh, a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you may have had additional children and and they're not not, um, included. So just to be mindful that there are documents you should have in place if you don't have them already. 
and now's a good time to, to look into that. So wrapping up, Karen, an hour goes by really quickly and I've loved talking to you. Like I, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. You know, if you had to give people listening one or two specific concrete things to do to move forward and, and get their finances in order, what, what would those takeaways be? I would definitely say to one, start with looking at what your what assets you have, what income you have, revenue that you have in in your bank, in your 401k, whatever, all your assets, and then look at your expenditures and see where you can reduce things if possible. I would say if you're eligible, definitely apply for the unemployment insurance. Look into, you know, if you're a small business owner, look at the small business loans that they're offering. If you need to, you can contact your local chamber or your state unemployment website or the sba.gov for those of you who are small business owners in order to access information. So those are the th- things I would say, you, you know, most people can start with for sure. And really my takeaways are, are, are the same. Set a budget, prioritize, you know, the, the things that are necessary, food, shelter, transportation, your health. The world is not going to end if you are late on a credit card payment or you can't pay it at all. It's not going to be as bad as you think. So if people want to get in touch with you, Karen, what's the best way for them to reach you? So the best way for them to reach me is to go to my website, which is engageforward365.com. You could take a look at the website, but then also look at uh, Karen B at engageforward. 365.com. Also, I would say to one one thing I did want to piggyback on, Heather, before you wrapped up in, in regards to setting a budget, just so people know, like these are some, there's some tools that are already available to you. Like if you have a bank account and you're accessing website, you're on your bank accounts on, online, take a look at your individual banks. They, they usually have a, a section for budgeting and for investing. And it's a great way for you to start with looking at how you paying your bills. I mean, it's already in there and loaded. So I just wanted to share that. That's good advice. Well. You don't have to reinvent yeah. the wheel. No, if, there, there's plenty of tools out there. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to get in touch with me, the website is www.essexesex.com. Richards, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S.com. You can find me on there. You can Google me and you can also call me at 704-377-4300. Wrapping up. Thanks again, Karen. This is fantastic. Thank you for having me. Sure. To the people who are listening, if you found this useful, leave us a review online. And um, depending on how this is received, we may come back and do more and you can share it you know, with friends and family that you think might find it useful as well. And we just want to also say that we want you all to please stay safe. Yeah, and be absolutely. Well. That's the most important thing. Thank you, Karen. Yeah. This was great.